When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. On this episode of Newt's World, I'm going to share with you a recent experience I had that really kind of got me thinking about what are the fundamentals and what do we really have to do and how much trouble are we in as a country. And it was an odd moment, I, I, uh, and I really want to share with you both how I got to this thinking and then what I think we need to do in order for us to survive as a country. So bear with me as we go from the House Republican Party to the floor of the House to America at a moment of historic crossroads. Last week, I had the opportunity to talk with House Republican members, both at the Conservative Opportunity Society and at lunchtime with the Republican Study Committee, which is the largest group of conservatives in the House. There were about 20 members at the Conservative Opportunity Society and another 60 members at the Republican Study Committee, including Congressman Steve Scalise, who was the number two Republican, the Republican whip. And I was very surprised at the end of the Republican Study Committee. It had a very lively discussion. And I was approached by Congressman Scalise, who asked me if I would go to the House floor, which I had not been on since I left the House. I'd been up in the gallery with other guests watching some key speeches, including the one by Pope Francis. But I had not gone on the House floor in this entire time. I had felt like it wasn't appropriate for me, given my background, to 
get involved in the whole process of being on the floor pretending that I was still an active member. But Scalise said, you know, it'll scare the Democrats if you show up, which I thought was kind of an interesting way to think about it. And I figured if a senior leader asked me to go, what the heck? So I went to go on the House floor. And it was really strange, verging on weird. Members of Congress, now these are elected members, chosen by the people of their district to go to Washington to speak for them and fight for them. Members of Congress today in the House have to go through the kind of metal detector you go through at TSA at an airport. Now, I was frankly startled because, first of all, it shows a level of paranoia that is just bizarre. Second, it undermines the dignity and the power of being a member of the House. I mean, to subordinate yourself to some cop who hasn't won election is a paid staff member of the House, frankly. This is part of the Nancy Pelosi dictatorship, and it's really profoundly wrong. And let me explain why I feel so deeply about this. Back a long time ago when I was the Republican whip myself, the job that Steve Salise has now, I was given the opportunity to host a group of Soviet reporters. This was in the last days of the Soviet Empire. And we had about a dozen reporters. And I took them on the House floor when we were not in session. It wasn't a big deal. The House was very open. And you could take 12 people out of the Soviet Union and walk on the House floor. And nobody thought it was a big deal as long as they had a member with them. And they didn't go through any kind of metal detector. And it wasn't some kind of huge process. And the paranoia was down at a normal, rational level. And so I talked to him about how the House worked, why the House was important, how it goes all the way back to the Magna Carta in 1215, the Great Charter, in which the barons insisted that the king had to submit to their voting to give him tax money, which was a profound break with the idea that the king reported only to God because now it was reducing the king to having to actually work with the barons, which King John, who signed the Magna Carta, hated, only agreed to it to get the money and promptly broke his word. But it was seen as the break point in English history in actually putting the king under the law, which is really a central point from which all of our freedom comes. And we have in the capital a copy, which I think Margaret Thatcher brought over, of the Magna Carta. So there's a real tie here that goes back over 800 years of the evolution of the notion that you have rights, that your rights come from God, and that no king has the ability to violate the law. And, of course, presidents are just elected kings. So I was explaining all this to the Soviet reporters, and I thought, you know, I think I'll give them a feel for the place. So I took one of the reporters, and I had him stand where the president stands when he delivers the State of the Union. And then I took another reporter, a Lithuanian, and I had him sit in the speaker's chair. Which, by the way, if you ever notice a State of the Union, the speaker's chair and the vice president's chair, the vice president is there as the president of the Senate. So the two of them are the host for the president, and they are deliberately symbolically above him. 
because he has come to their chamber at their request and is their guest. So his power, which is great in the White House, is limited in the Capitol. And so I walked him through all this, and the Lithuanian was sitting in the chair, and he came down afterwards, and he was physically trembling. And he said to me, you know, all the years we've been under the Soviets, we never thought America was our enemy. In fact, as Lithuanians, we think the Russians are a lot greater danger than the Americans. But he said, you've allowed me to sit at the center of freedom on the planet. And I thought how much he had captured the essence. The center of freedom is the U.S. House, not the White House. It's the place where people have to go home every two years to get permission to represent the people of their district. If a senator dies in office or leaves office, the governor can appoint a replacement until the next election. You don't do that in the House. If a House member dies or resigns, you have to have an election because the House's tie is directly to the American people. And I thought that this guy, he was so excited, so deeply committed to the idea of freedom and to the role of America as the center of freedom and the role of the U.S. House as the center of freedom in America. And as you could tell, I've never forgotten it. And I found myself with Steve Scalise looking at this metal detector and the Pelosi dictatorship thinking, what a profound, deep violation of the American system that we now have decayed to a point where the Speaker of the House behaves with totally arbitrary power, where none of the normal legislative process works. And I want to take a minute to explain why that's a big deal. In an effective, functioning, healthy legislative body, somebody has an idea. You send it to a committee because you can't deal with everything in what's called the body of the whole, which is all the members. And so there are different committees. And the committees have members who serve on them for a number of years and really, in many cases, become remarkably expert. And so the members take this new idea and they research it. And then they hold hearings. And in the hearings, both sides get to come in place. You're going to get folks who love the idea and folks who hate the idea. And they're going to be out in the open and they're going to talk. Nowadays, because of technology, we can stream either through C-SPAN or just by going to the House Internet system, which, by the way, we launched the day after I became Speaker. And I'm very proud of that fact. All of the initial bills that were put online for people to see were put online by the House Republicans in 1995. And it was revolutionary. It meant you didn't need a lobbyist. You didn't need a newspaper. You didn't have to rely on somebody else. You could go personally and read the bill. But there's a catch here. In a healthy, functioning legislative process, you end up in a situation where you know what's in the bill. You have to know what's in the bill in order to hold a hearing. At the hearing, really smart people who are for the bill debate really smart people who are against the bill, and you flush out whatever mistakes there are, whatever weaknesses there are, whatever needs to get fixed. And then you start at the subcommittee level, then you go to the full committee level, then you go to the House floor where you have to go through the Rules Committee to get what's called a rule in order to debate the bill, then you vote on it, then it has to go through the same process in the Senate, 
Then you meet in a conference committee between the House and the Senate, and you hammer out the differences. And there often are significant differences because the two bodies are very different. The senators represent states, two per state. The House represents people. And so you have real collisions. And that's healthy. It's good. It's what the system ought to be like. All of that began to collapse because of two things, I think. One, the rise of the computer, the laptop, allows staff members to sit around at 3 in the morning and write an extra couple hundred words so quickly that they get the arrogance of believing that if they wrote it, it must be good. And the staff arrogance is a major problem on Capitol Hill because many of these are people who actually had never had any other job. They came out of college, they were interns, they got a job at the bottom of the heap as a legislative correspondent. They worked their way up. Their entire career has been sitting around Washington, D.C., going to nice restaurants, having nice dinners, and pompously talking to each other about all these things that they know a great deal about because they read the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. But they don't know about the real world because they're not out there. They're in their real world, and their real world is a world of enormous power. And so they can screw up the other real world, the one most people live in, because the structure of power is such that it can reach in even if it's totally stupid. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. I have to confess that the more I have thought about the principle that somebody can come to America illegally, file a lawsuit, 
get a half million dollars or $450,000 out of the taxpayers of the United States for having broken the law is so astounding that clearly whoever thought up the idea, why don't we agree to a settlement where the American taxpayers spend, the Wall Street Journal estimates, well over a billion dollars paying people who are here illegally. And the idea that that's not going to bring many more people here, can you imagine across the planet as people say, you know, if you get to America illegally, they'll take you in, they'll put you on a plane or a train or a bus, they'll send you somewhere in America, the various social services will take care of you. And by the way, you might be able to get a half million dollar settlement out of them because you can tell them you feel bad about having been in America. In all honesty, as a historian and a guy who's written novels, I can't figure out what the people in the Biden administration sitting around the table saying, I got it. Why don't we pay them off at a half million dollars apiece? And nobody at the table said to them, have you lost your mind? How are you going to explain that, first of all, to people who came here legally, who spent years becoming an honest American citizen? and who are now being told they're going to be taxed so that their cousin who came here illegally can be given a check for a half million dollars? And second, how are you going to explain that to the average hardworking American? Everybody I know personally, if you said to them, would you like the federal government to give you a half million dollars, most of them would say yes. Talk about taking care of the student loan program, just write a half million dollar check to every student. But the principle of the U.S. government in the middle of an age of inflation with a big deficit, deciding, oh, why don't we run the deficit even higher because, look, we can give all this money to illegal immigrants so that they'll be happy. We want happy illegal immigrants. Well, happy, prosperous illegal immigrants guarantees another 100 million people are going to show up at the southern border, which is actually less than the Gallup estimate. The Gallup estimate is 158 million would like to come to the U.S. Now, 158 million times $450,000 At some point, you will be talking about real money. And I just have to confess, one of the purposes of having a Congress is to bring reality from the country to the Capitol. And one of the purposes of having hearings is to surface ideas which are truly crazy. And this is clearly going to be one of them. But if you don't have hearings, if you don't have an opportunity for people to object, If you just ram it through, as Pelosi has gotten in a sad habit, starting with Obamacare, when she first said, you have to pass the bill to find out what's in it, which, if you think about it, is a statement of such arrogance and such destructiveness. In a free society, how can you put a gun to my head and tell me I have to vote yes on a multi-thousand page bill involving the lives of millions of people with no knowledge. And yet that's what they did. That's how they passed Obamacare. And they got in this habit. And now they're totally messed up because they can't figure out a way to write a bill, which both the hardline big government socialists, the so-called progressives, and the softline big government socialists called moderates can agree on. And they have to find a way to get them to agree on it in the House and the Senate. And so they've had this embarrassing period where the Pelosi dictatorship is gradually decaying in public. But it is a crazy way to run a free society because it means the society is not free. And by the way, 
The founding fathers really understood this. People tend to forget that the folks who wrote the Constitution, the folks who wrote the Declaration of Independence, many of them the same people, and the folks who fought an eight-year war against Great Britain, those people had all been practicing politicians. They'd served in the state legislature. Washington, Jefferson, others had been down in Williamsburg serving in the House of Burgesses. And they all understood the political process. And they all, by the way, feared centralized dictatorship because they'd seen it in Great Britain. It was the king. And it was the king's use of judges to impose the state on citizens that led them to a very, very deep feeling that the purpose of the Constitution was to protect the citizen from the government. The Constitution does not grant power to the government. It limits the government. It says these are the things you can't do. And what we've seen under cover of COVID is the most fundamental violation of the Constitution, of suspending the right of free speech, suspending the right of assembly. I mean, sometime read the Bill of Rights, which Jefferson insisted on in order to support the Constitution. And then watch what governors have done and cities have done and presidents have done. And you realize, for example, that a mandate on vaccinations is a profound violation of your right as an American. I, by the way, have been vaccinated twice. I've had a booster shot. It's not an argument about whether or not vaccinations are good. It's an argument about whether anyone in America has the right to say to 335 million people, I will invade your body. I will control your body. I'll tell you what you're going to put in your body. And if you don't, I'm going to fire you. I'm going to take away your pension benefits. And I'm going to make sure you can't get a job. Now, that, by any reasonable standard, is called a dictatorship. We were coming in through the speaker's gallery where the press comes, which also, I will point out, if they ever again open the house up for tourists and go back to the healthy, rational, open society, it's not that it can't be dangerous. I remember a particular date, I think it was in 1983, when Jack Kemp and Bob Walker and I were at the back of the House chamber talking, and this young man suddenly jumped up in the visitor's gallery above us and began yelling in Hebrew. And the police wrestled him down. Kemp, as usual, although he had been a pro quarterback for Buffalo, was saying, be careful with him, don't hurt him. So they wrestled this guy down. It turns out he has a body bomb. And it turns out that he is an Israeli graduate student protesting poverty in Bangladesh. And he thought he was in the U.S. Senate because he couldn't read English. Now, I have to tell you, as a member of the House who cherishes the House, the idea that I might have been blown up by somebody who thought I was a senator lacks a certain dignity. But he was apparently a liberal arts student because he had put in the detonator upside down. And so it didn't go off. They took it down to Fort Belvoir. And on Friday, they came to see us and said, you know, when we did set it off, it would have taken out one third of the House chamber. Now, that was a little sobering. But the truth is, none of the three of us thought, oh, gee, why don't we go to a maximum security, no visitors, you know, protect ourselves from risk? Because we knew the price of freedom is risk. If you're going to go out and meet the people, if you're going to have town hall meetings and listen to people, if you're going to allow people to come and petition the government a right which is guaranteed in the Constitution, if you're going to accept the notion that power comes from God to you as an individual and you loan power to the government. I always felt that when I was a member of the Congress and then when I was Speaker, it was being loaned to me. It wasn't my power. 
One of the great tragedies of Nancy's career is she was there so long and she had power so long. You know, Lord Acton had warned in the 19th century that power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Notice the difference in the way he said it. Power tends to corrupt. He takes tends away and says absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, Nancy, unfortunately, has had absolute power. Her caucus gave it to her, combination of how smart she is, how hard she works, how much money she raises, and how mean and ruthless she is. The result is, over time, she came to believe in herself, which is very dangerous. The Greeks had a term for it. It was called hubris. And somebody who has hubris ultimately suffers what the Greeks called nemesis, which is destruction. To some extent this week, Nancy's had a taste of that because, in fact, she couldn't convince the left wing of her party to vote for something that the right wing of her party wants. Now, remember, these are all big government socialists, so left and right is a relative term here. And the president came up and was apparently once again stunningly incompetent at being able to get them to do anything and then cheerfully went off to Europe. Biden and Pelosi both went up and said to their own caucus, remember, this is Democrats talking to Democrats. We really need this. And the Democrats, a large block of them said, yeah, not that badly. If you don't give me what I want, I'm not going to vote for it. And of course, the other side of the coin was Senators Manchin and Sinema, who said, I'm not voting for what those left-wing kooks want. And so it all kind of melted down. The one great thing about Biden not remembering anything is by the time he got to Europe, he'd forgotten that they had turned him down. But what I was struck with as I'm walking in, and if you do get to someday, once again, have a house that's free, a house that has no metal detectors, a house that allows tourists to actually come through and see the house, in the speaker's gallery, which is where the press corps comes, they have paintings of former speakers. And I'm very proud to tell you that my painting is the only one that's in color. And I am standing on the balcony looking down the mall, holding the contract with America. So from my standpoint, and it made perfect sense because it's an outdoor, happy, positive painting. Most of them are old men in dark outfits from the 19th century looking very dour and very serious. And as usual, I'm smiling. I lost the whole training program on how to be a really pompous, somber speaker. It was one of the great failures of my speakership was the inadequate somberness. So anyway, so I'm in this room, which I've been in off and on for 30 years, which is where the reporters are supposed to come and gather. And you realize this whole thing is a police state. Now, I'd had a similar taste a few weeks ago because I'd gone over to a meeting in the Cannon Building. And not only did I have to check in and go through a metal detector, but I had to explain where I was going. I had to have a staff member from the Congress escort me. I had to wear a little sticker that said I was Newt Gingrich so people would know that I was an accepted guest. And I learned something very sobering, which is at the present time, everybody who comes in for meetings is recorded. And what that means is you can't have a whistleblower come to a meeting in the Capitol because potentially the people they're blowing a whistle on are going to find out who they are because you have to report them. And so the congressional staff were telling me they now go to meetings off Capitol Hill to meet with whistleblowers simply to keep them away from Pelosi and her secret police who are out there 
literally keeping records on every person who comes in. And what's their purpose of being there? And where are they going? Now, this is a level of control that is staggering and is counterproductive, undermines freedom, but it also undermines the ability to get anything done. One of the great virtues of a free society is that problems get surfaced and you have hearings and over time you learn stuff and eventually you find a solution. In a sense, Churchill captured that when he once said that America eventually finds the right way to do things. They try everything else that doesn't work first, but then they get around to doing the right thing. And I think that we have to recognize that this process of exploring for what's right, which helped us in opening up the West, helped us in building the Transcontinental Railroad, helped us in responding to Sputnik, helped us in responding to the Japanese attack at Pearl Harbor. All of that has been closed down into the narrowest and dumbest kinds of partisanship and into a world that has no consequence. So Adam Schiff, the head of the Intelligence Committee, can blatantly, openly lie for several years. And there's no question, he just plain lied about the Russian connection. He lied about Ukraine. You can go back and find very specific quotes where he said, I have proof. And then it turned out, no, he didn't have any proof because it didn't exist, because it wasn't true. But he's still the chairman of the Intelligence Committee. And when you have a chairman of the Intelligence Committee who's that dishonest, you don't get any effective oversight. So there's now a report which came out yesterday that four major intelligence committees all misinformed the president about how rapidly the Taliban would take over Afghanistan. We spend $81 billion a year. Right now there are 18 members of the intelligence community, and they failed. We also learned that the Chinese may have had a hypersonic missile test this summer, which we only learned about through a Chinese press release because our intelligence systems failed to find it. They did not detect apparently a, a rocket that went all the way around the world and then launched a hypersonic missile designed to evade all of our anti-missile defenses, to make all of them obsolete. And they didn't know it until the Chinese told them. Now, that's the kind of stuff we're up against. And so if you have a Congress which can't have hearings, can't learn, it's literally the opposite of what happened under Franklin Roosevelt in the New Deal. You go back and you look, for example, at Sam Rayburn before he was Speaker. He was chairman of what was then the Commerce Committee, which was very central. You look at the weeks and weeks of hearings that he held. You look at the legislation they drafted, the way they introduced it, the way people fought over it and had hearings about it, the compromises that were necessary, the arguments on the floor of the House. That was a free society coming to grips with a very difficult reality in the middle of a depression and having a lot of different people make a difference. When you centralize things down so it's Nancy Pelosi and her top three or four staff, you have eliminated all of the great advantages of a free society. And that eliminates your ability to come to grips with reality. So having gotten through the metal detector and Apparently, I was acceptable. We then went on the House floor wearing masks, of course, because in the Pelosi world, unless you're going to a really expensive dinner with fundraisers or you're going to a football game with 85,000 people, if you're on the House floor, you have to have a mask on, even if you have had, as I had, two vaccinations and a booster shot. And it just tells you, again, it's a dictatorship 
It's a method of control. It says you do not control your own face. You do not control the decision to put on a mask. You must be obedient. And I was reminded of Animal Farm, which begins with a revolt of the animals and has as one of its principles, all animals are equal, and ends with the pigs taking over and adopting a new rule, which is four legs are good, but two legs are better. And the pigs actually begin selling off some of the animals for food to make money. And the whole point of Orwell's Animal Farm, which he wrote after he wrote 1984, was watching the way revolutions decay and how they go from an inspiring conversation about freedom to a dictatorship in which the few dominate the many. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. I think the Pelosi dictatorship may be decaying. If Glenn Youngkin wins next week and the Republicans take the 
governorship of Virginia, and I think Glenn probably will win. I think you're going to see panic in the Democratic Party, and I think that will accelerate the decay. But the problem is we shouldn't look for a new, younger, better dictator. We should fight for a reversion, and the Republicans, if they take over, have to be very careful not to accept the instruments of power and secrecy that the Democrats have invented. They need to go back to the kind of house that that Lithuanian reporter was so proud of that is genuinely, truly the center of freedom. And in that context, they're going to have a great deal of work to do. They're going to find that, in fact, it's very difficult for America to solve all the great problems we're faced with and that we are, in fact, I think, in a tremendous period of challenge. And as I sat on the House floor, and it was kind of fun, I have to confess, being back in a place I'd spent 20 years working in, talking to my many friends. I don't know that I met Steve Scalise's goal of actually scaring the Democrats, because frankly, when you wear masks, they don't know who you are anyway. So they may not even have known I was there. But our side did. I chatted with a lot of them, and I was reminded of how the place used to work. And I was reminded of how important it is in a free society. Our greatest single advantage over dictators is the ability to go home, listen to the people we represent, find out what it is that they're concerned about, what their ideas are, what they think the solutions would be, and come back together, 435 people representing 335 million free citizens. Talk with each other, learn from each other, understand that all of our districts are very different, that you don't govern downtown New York the same way you govern Idaho, and that that's healthy, and that you've got to find a way to bring it all together in order for a free society to solve its problems and to be healthy. And as I sat there, I thought, you know, we need to get back to the basics. We need to find a way to confront how big the challenges are. And we need to do it out in the open in a way that encourages every American of every background, whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent. We need to somehow have a national conversation, which once again returns us to being the center of freedom And once again recognizes that in order to be free, you have to respect the right of others to be free. And you have to militantly be opposed to a handful of people running a dictatorship. And it was a remarkable day for me. I'll always be grateful for the invitation to go back to the House floor. And I think in my case, at least, it got me to really think in very fundamental ways about what we have to do and what the challenges are to all of us if, in fact, we intend to continue and to have the kind of future that we want for our children and for our country. Thank you for listening. You can visit our show page at newtsworld.com to read more about the different topics I discussed today, and you can also order Beyond Biden, which is now available and which captures what I think we're going to have to do to rebuild America Uh, once these people are no longer in charge. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns 
at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.